And Father, we thank you for the chance to worship you today, and we thank you that you have seen fit uh, to bless us uh, by revealing yourself to us uh, in your word. And we ask now that you would just um, give us uh, your mind, that we might uh, know you and know how to know you uh, in your word. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name, who makes it all possible. Amen. Well, this is um, part two in a uh, four-part series, but even if you weren't here uh, last week, I hope that um, I think you will find it uh, useful. I hope I hope you will. Um, this is today we're going to talk about how, how to approach uh, epistles and apocalypse uh, in in the Bible. So, uh, as you're reading uh, through and you read Paul's letters, or you read um, you read um, Revelation, uh, then you can know a little bit better how to. Uh, how to approach those uh, those kinds of of that genre have those kinds of writings in the uh, in the Bible. Uh, it, this is sort of leading up to. I don't know if you saw if you've looked at our website this weekend. Um, it's leading up to a blog that uh, Andrew and I and some other folks are going to do. Some of the other teachers um, are going to do, um, and we are going to uh, produce or we have we are in the middle of producing. I'm finding a couple of typos and things uh, in my reading plan, but I've produced a reading plan, sort of designed a reading plan around, uh, somewhat around the liturgical year. It starts the day after Rally Day, September 9th. Uh, it's about three chapters a day, uh, which sounds like, you know, I think, man, I can, three chapters a day, I can read three chapters a day. And it's, you know, it's about 15 minutes, and who has 15 minutes, really? I mean, so it's, um, it's, uh, it, it's just, it takes a lot of sort of discipline and, and, and work, and but it's not the kind of thing like if you fall a few days behind or a week or a month behind, like you can't just keep going because it's gonna we're gonna post um, four times a week on right sort of devotional and explanation, so um, how it applies to your life, but also sort of what's going on in the passage, especially for for more difficult passages. Um, and so that'll be um, on our website starting the day after rally day. So I hope you'll join us, and I hope you will if you. Um, if you're a social media person and want to get that out there too, just to, to bless, uh, it's really aimed at the Advent, but but the sort of beauty of it is it can it can be a wider resource too. So, um, last week what we we looked at the Gospels and, and just we also looked at some principles for basic interpretation uh, of Scripture. Uh, when you're reading uh, the Bible, it is important to know uh, or to have the freedom really to read the Bible as it wants to be read. And what I mean by that is you read poetry like you when you read the Psalms, you read them like poetry. You don't read them like the like narrative, which is the way you would read the Gospels or the history or the the apocalypse and, and Revelation. Um, if it wants to be a metaphor, you let it be a metaphor. Jesus said, "I'm the door." He's not really a door. You know, we we say, "Oh, I," you know, some people say, "Well, I'll take the Bible literally." Well, the Bible doesn't always want to be read literally. Um, we don't need to make meta. We don't need to be afraid of. Uh, some people will make everything in a metaphor, and that's not good either. You just want to read the Bible as it as it wants to be read. Uh, so that's sort of the first principle. And um, and the other another principle is that um, you you can't it can't mean something today that it didn't mean to the original author and audience. Um, so so in, in other words, you can't. It's, we're not trying to find new meaning in Scripture. Maybe new to us, but it should not be new to the church. Right? We've had 2,000 years of history, and so we um, uh, we are not looking for something new. We are looking for truth, and um, it is unlikely that we are going to find something unearth some new truth that it, um, that the church hadn't already discovered. Now we need to 
so there is a there is a newness in the way we apply uh, the truth. It's it's the ancient truth, the timeless truth. But there may be because our circumstances are different. There may be a different way we apply it. But the truth remains the same. Does that make sense? So we can't mean we want we want to read the Bible the way it wants to be read, and it can't mean something different than it meant uh, originally. Uh, a word about translation. Um, I'm going to each week. I'm going to try to give just a, a little uh, other sort of tidbit in addition to the the genre that we're covering. But uh, somebody said last week. You know, I, I understand that it. Uh, you know, it's translated several times before we actually get it. I just want to give a, a little. I want to answer that a little bit. Uh, we have, uh, no, not we, but we collectively, uh, the scholars in the Christian Church, liberal, conservative, doesn't matter. Um, even without faith, there are thousands of manuscripts, uh, and some of those are very, very early. And by early, I mean within a generation of uh, of the original writings. Um, we don't have, to my knowledge, any of Paul, any of Paul's writings, like the paper that he wrote on or that his scribe wrote on. Uh, but they had, uh, in a way that we can't really grasp, uh, we they had a very, very careful um, tradition of transcription, and so um, I mean to the point of of, of getting the the handwriting the same. They um, there there were errors occasionally. Um, but but by having thousands of manuscripts, you can look at the scholars have looked at uh, vari- variations, and um, you can quickly see things that are um, that are uh, probably additions or mistakes or deletions or things like that because you have thousands of manuscripts. So um, and and those standards aren't um, any different than you would say like with. Like the Iliad or the Odyssey or you know something like that, some other ancient manuscript, uh, ancient uh, text, and so so what we have here this is a um, this is my Greek New Testament it's what I use in seminary and I can I can probably pronounce most of it but um, the uh, uh, this is I mean within like I mean more accurate than 95 percent uh, of what I mean it is very very precise and and so uh, and so this. Is translated from this. So this is, you know, is historical criticism, which is the idea of looking at all the manuscripts and trying to figure out what was what was original to the author. Um, it is a it is a science. It's not a precise science, but it's a, it is a um, sort of an artistic science. But it's a it's a it is within really. I mean, you can you can take it to the bank really. In in any any in in, in a modern Bible, pretty much any variation, if a um, if a committee gets together and translates the Bible, and they are in a passage, they are divided on what they think is sort of authentic to the text. Then there will be a note, and usually the the majority uh, who hold the decision. So you might have a text. Some manuscripts say this. Have you never noticed that in the little subtext? Some manuscripts say this, and it might, or you might be reading along, and you have. Um, some sort of a, uh, uh, you know, it skips a verse because originally they had the manuscripts they had were later, like when the King James was translated in the 1600s. Um, they had less manuscripts and they were not nearly as early, and so um, a lot of them they didn't have as much to work with. It was a very good translation of what they had. But we have a lot more, and so like for instance, um, the Lord's Prayer, and um, uh, in Matthew, 
in if you read the King James, it finishes the Lord's Prayer with, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Well, somebody in the 900s or something, you know, added this sort of doxology at the at the end for theological reasons or, or for their parish or whatever it was, but and it made it in the, into the King James. But the um, and so you you'll have a note at the bottom that some manuscripts have this, but the earliest things do. So we have a very very precise um, uh, understanding of what was originally written, and that comes in here. So it's really translated once. So you, you know when. When the Mormons come to your door and they say, well, you really can't trust, you know, it's written because it's been translated hundreds and thousands of times before we... That's not true. I mean, it's just, it's just patently false. And they may not know it's false, but that's, um, that's... So I just want to say that we can really, really trust uh, what's in our hands. Um, so uh, according to the most rigorous standards of, of historical criticism. Any, any questions about that? Or any? just want to sort of answer that, that question. Um, now, so the um, the question isn't whether you can trust uh, that you are reading what the authors wrote. The question is, can you trust um, what they're saying? Because what 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 they wrote, we have what they wrote within you know degrees. But um, the, so then the question is, um, can can you trust what they were saying to us? And that. The best answer I have for that is that these were, for the most part, ordinary men, fishermen, mildly educated, who would have had to come up with entire new styles and, and genre of, of writing, like gospels and epistles, theological sort of expositions, um, and then lived with such persuasive force that thousands of people... Uh, were uh, lives were converted, uh, and that they w- knew that they were lies, but but died for the were willing to to die for those lies collectively all over the ancient Near East. Now that is extremely hard to believe. Sometimes what they wrote that God would become a man, die for our sins, and those that death actually had something to do with us. That's hard to believe too. So we're sort of sometimes. Um, uh, faced with, with difficult decisions. But for me, and I hope for you, um, experientially, um, rationally, what we understand is that, that um, it, it's harder for me to believe that these men could have accomplished what they accomplished outside of the power of the Spirit. And, um, and so I, I trust them. And, that, and so to say that is to say that I, there is some of my own bias of my own belief going into what, what I understand about that. And that's okay. I mean, it's, 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 it's good to, to have that and understand that. Uh, but at the same time, I feel incredibly comfortable. Like, I would pin my life on, on what, um, what the Bible says and how, how trustworthy it is. So, any questions about that before we get to epistle? Epistle is great. Um, so, approaching the letters. The, the, um, the letters are everything in the New Testament except for the Gospels, Acts, and Revelation. So, um, uh, the authors, who are the authors of the letters? Paul, Paul Peter, Peter, John, John James. James. <coughs> nope, Titus was Paul, written by Paul. Two more. Jude. He's got about 13 verses. Yeah, the little letter Jude. And then the author of Hebrews. So we don't know who that word is. We don't know who wrote the author of Hebrews. It was not Paul. Um, I, I, 
I don't think it was historically a lot of people thought it was Paul, and I think you know again liberal conservative pretty much nobody now thinks it was written by Paul, but it made it into the canon. It was, it was and it is an incredible piece of piece of work. Um, they write as they're writing the epistles as more than just friends. Uh, they're writing often to they have very friendly relationships. Oftentimes, sometimes I mean sometimes you, you know Paul's jumping down their throats, but they're writing as as, as more than just uh, just friends, they're um, they're not just giving some some personal friendly advice. Uh, they are writing as apostles. They're writing at, with authority. Um, they were they weren't just substitutes for their personal presence. Um, they were authoritative substitutes. They were writing as uh, Christ's uh, representatives, and um, and all of the, with possibly the exception of Romans, all of the epistles were written. Uh, they're called occasional documents. That, is, that means there was some occasion that precipitated the need for the letter. Uh, there was some sort of moral uh, downfall that needed correcting, or there's some doctrinal um, uh, error that needed correcting, or there was some disagreement or misunderstanding uh, that needed some resolution or needed more information. So they were writing into a particular situation. And so we have um, the answers in the letters. We have all the answers. We don't always know what the problem was, so that it's sort of like listening to one end of a of a telephone conversation. Um, so we, uh, because they're occasional, uh, also they are not um, theological treatises. Again, maybe with the exception of Romans, although he had a, uh, we'll talk about that in, in a little bit. Um, they are applied theology. Paul is taking his theology and applying it to the situation in Galatia or in Corinth or in Philippi, wherever it was. Um, and so they are. Uh, the theology is given to a particular circumstance, particular need, um, and uh, and none of the none of the letters contain all of the apostles' theology. Uh, for instance, um, when Paul wrote to the Galatians, uh, he is emphasizing uh, freedom. I mean, it's an incredible emphasis on the freedom of the Christian. Because he's writing into a situation where the church was struggling with legalism, but when he writes to the Corinthians, they weren't struggling with legalism at all. They were they were taking their um, their freedom to these ex- extreme moral um, or immoral um, ends, and and so he was he emphasizes self restraint. Neither one uh, by itself represents Paul's whole teaching on freedom and obedience. Uh, they both offer a corrective message. Um, Sort of tailored to those sort of particular circumstances in there. In, in Romans, Romans was written um, to the church in in Rome. Uh, Paul did not found that church, he, um, but he was writing to them uh, to uh, encourage um, participation in um, uh, uh, participation in his what he desired uh, to um, to go on mission, probably to Spain. It was going to be that he was Rome was going to be his launching point for his fourth missionary journey. Well, it it didn't happen as as far as we know, uh, and and he Romans so even then he has a, a burden. He's he's really proving himself. He's introducing himself, and so he gives really his fullest theology uh, in in the book of Romans. But even there, it doesn't contain all of all of his uh, theology. Um, He's he's explaining there his his burden for the the atonement and and the uh, the relationship between Jew and Gentile, um, but and he's sort of making his case. Um, 
So again, we want to uh, sort of, uh, when we approach a letter, when we're, when we're reading the letters, we want to, these are our little diagrams. So this is, this is their time, this is our time. So you have the little shepherd's crook and a cell phone. And um, we need to know what's going on there before we can see what is here. And we need to see what the differences are, that's the, the river, before we sort of cross that bridge. What it means to me is a really important question, but what it means to me is not the first question. What did it mean to them? What did what was going on in Corinth when Paul is writing to the Corinthians? It's really important. Uh, it, 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 I wouldn't say it's vital. I wouldn't say there's no nothing you can get out of reading Corinthians without knowing what was going on, on what was going on in Corinth. But it really helps because that way you can understand. Well, what when he what is, I mean what does it mean that he was um, saying don't eat meat given to idols? And does that have anything? It's my favorite passage. God, I know I'll never break that commandment. So, um, um, so we want to we sort of review these. So we want to sort of grasp it in in their time, in their town, sort of so to speak. Um, uh, it's it's like again, it's like le- listen to one end of a phone conversation. So we need. It's helpful to know what's going on. And the best place, the easiest place, sort of the most accessible way to find that out is a study Bible. Um, there's there's uh, stuff you can get online from any perspective, and sort of sort of de- sifting through which which perspective you want uh, is more difficult. Uh, this I I just think this is such a great resource. I really trust all the editors, um, the English Standard Version Study Bible, ESV Study Bible, and um, we actually ha- happen to have it in our bookstore. Um, some of you, uh, may, I know a lot of you actually have have a copy of that. Um, so historical context. Um, who was the author? Uh, what was their background? Uh, who was he writing? When was he writing? Uh, what was the uh, what kind of city did they live in? What was going on? Um, the city of Philippi was much different than the city of Corinth. Um, the the Ephesians, uh, I, I mean, um, yeah, Ephesus is very different. Their their situation. The author of Hebrews completely different. James is writing to Jews spread out over here. Author of Hebrews is writing to Christians spread out over here. It's just a very different, very different um, setting. So it's good to know those things. Again, there is value in just jumping right in. But if you, um, it's not that you can't get anything out of it. But it will, it will help your understanding if you take the time. Now, if you're already, I've got to read three chapters today, and now I've got to read the introduction and. Who's gonna have time for a blog post? I'll just read the blog post. That that's uh, it, it's, it's you know it's hard to do all that stuff. So um, so I just I recognize that. Uh, but but it it will help you if you have the chance. Um, how is the audience relationship to God? How what was the audience relationship to each other? Um, in in um, in Corinth, they seem to be doing fine with each other. Or they're happy with it. Paul's not happy with it, but they they're happy with it. But in James, they're at they're, the audience is at each other's throats, and so they have very different sort of ways that they're writing. Um, so, when you read an epistle, it's good to think in paragraphs. Um, it's often not helpful to take snippets, little little verses. Now you can I mean. The uh, um, God, all things work to the good of those who love the Lord. Romans eight twenty eight. That is that is a truth. That's a timeless truth, and yet it is um, it is. There's a lot more that he's saying 
uh, around that passage, then you know if you trust Jesus, everything's going to work out okay. So, um, so he's he's really speaking into a, a, a people who are have been experienced persecution and need to know the faith, faithfulness of the Lord. Um, so, um, you want to think in paragraphs, not just as um, as units of thought, but as, as really the key. And you just want to ask over and over again, what is going on? What is going on? What is what is Paul saying? What is James saying here? Um, and, and they write, again, they write in different styles. Uh, I think probably next week would be a good uh, time to talk about what's the role of the author and what's the role of the Holy Spirit in sort of uh, interpretation. And then what's the Holy Spirit's role in, in my life and when I'm, when I'm reading that. But, but Paul doesn't write like James. And neither one of them writes like the author of Hebrews. They, um, they have different things. Paul, I think, is uh, he's more fluid. James is sort of like, it's almost like it's just sermon notes. You know, it's, it's little things that you have to kind of piece together. And I find um, that a commentary, if you have time for a commentary, is helpful. Now, you probably aren't, if you're reading through the Bible in a year, you're probably not taking the time to go through a commentary, too, um, unless you just have a ton of time. But, um, and, uh, but, you know, maybe you read through the Bible in a year, and then you pick out a few things that you wanted to go slower through the next year or something like that. But I think those, those are, are helpful. And there's all kinds of levels of commentaries. There's very popularly written, there's sort of medium, sort of some academic, some, you know, but on a real accessible level. And then there's, you know, sort of scholarly, and then there's, you know, nerd level <laughs> way, way up here. Um, the, uh, um, there's other resources too. I, I find there's a, there's a website that I really like called um, blueletterbible.org, blueletterbible.org. And it's, um, they have a blog that goes through some some stuff, but they also have just a uh, you can look up different verses and different versions, and you can you can click on what what is this what is the original meaning of this word and, and that that kind of stuff is just helpful. They have a lot of different resources and little commentaries. It's called blueletterbible.org. Uh, I never found anything sketchy on that. It's it's um it's a good a good website. Anyway, so you can look at, they have Bible dictionaries and things like that. What does this word mean in, in this context? Um, so then you want to say, so if you know what's going on there, and then you can kind of say, well, what are the differences? What are the differences, what's going on there and what's going on uh, with us? And then uh, what, what you want to lift out of that is a principle. You want to kind of see, you know, is there, is there a timeless principle? Um, I'm looking at the clock, and I'm thinking that if I'm going to get to Revelation, I'm probably not going to go through a passage um, uh, here for epistles, which I would really like to do. Um, but for instance, the, the eating the eating meat pas- passage, there's one in Romans and one in, in Corinthians. Um, don't offer meat. Um, don't eat meat that's offered to idols. And Paul says, actually, I think it, I think it's okay. We're free in Christ, but if it causes you to stumble, if it, then it's, it, you shouldn't do it. And if it causes somebody else around you to stumble, um, then they shouldn't do it as well. What is the principle there? And, um, and so you can see that they were really um, struggling with how to um, di- distinguish themselves from the sort of religious pluralistic culture uh, that in which they live. Well, we live in a religious pluralistic culture as well. Uh, how do we distinguish ourselves? How do how are we, we winsome and attractive and and yet there um, and 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 the main thing that Paul says is, is don't use your freedom 
in such a way that it's going to bring someone else down into um, and and so if 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 you know someone has has struggled with something, they're you know as a, as they they feel called to give up something or to give in, get to do something, and you wouldn't you know you just really honor honor that person and and what you know their life, which which requires personal engagement um, and Christian respect and charity and and so there's lots of you know there's it's it's not apples to apples, but it, there is a, a higher principle that that we can can bring here. So that's the sort of the crossing. Uh, crossing over, um, I, I think the principles you, you need. You want to do our best to see that the principles are reflected uh, in the text, and they're not bound um, by culture. And um, you know, there's sometimes where uh, the situation uh, is the same, and God's word to them is exactly the same to them as as it is to us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, that doesn't change. You know, that's that's the um, that's the same for them uh, then as it is for us uh, now. Uh, but it's important to under, understand their situation and, and to um, and to lift the principles uh, out of the text. Uh, any, I want to just ask, it, it take about two or three minutes, or, or as much as we need, need to really, um, to make sure you sort of understand or if you have any qu- questions or even maybe specific examples. Sort of what I'm what I'm talking about. Or maybe it's just so convoluted, you know, just waiting for 10.50. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, Addison. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very important what you're saying because it's such a stumbling block mm-hmm. people who don't understand the interpretation and mm-hmm. that it's, it's in the primarily the history of what's going on in the house and the snippets. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate it. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, um, well, I, yeah, if you can just tell me how awesome what I said was, that would be, um, yeah, 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 you can, you can trust what you have in your hands for, for sure. Um, and the other thing to, to do is to read it, like you say, I mean, there's a lot of, there are a lot of imperative statements. In, in the letters, here's what you should do. It is also very important to read the the, the text as a, as a whole. I mean, they were read out loud in a non-television era, so they had like attention spans. And um, and what what happens in Paul's letters is he talks about the gospel, and then he talks about what to do. And so if you rush to Galatians six without reading Galatians one through three, then you won't. Then you'll just you'll be a legalist. I mean, just just naturally. All right, we and we are naturally legalists anyway. We, so we rushed. We want to know what we're supposed to do and what others are supposed to do, and so we can tell them what they're supposed to do. And and um and we need to read everything. And Paul uh, Frank said this in his in his uh, sermon. I think it was just last week. Read everything that you read through the lens of the cross. And that's what Paul is one of the things that he was sort of talking through. Everything that he gave them instruction was through the lens of what he has already said to them. In the gospel, uh, the only exception I can really think of where he does doesn't really go straight to the gospel first is Titus. But Titus is like his protege. He gets to the gospel sort of in the middle, but Titus knows the gospel. He's he's writing to him about a particular pastoral situation because um, Titus is the pastor of the churches there in Crete, I think. Um, so so I read it through the lens of the cross. I mean, it describes you know. The, 
it, it shows you, it's like looking in a mirror, it shows you where you're, where you're off, and what that leads us to is repentance uh, rather than to legalism. So um, you know, if your hair is out of, out of must off, you know, and, and you look in a mirror, then and you should fix it. It's important to fix it. Your works are important, but not to save you, because uh, you've already been saved. So look at it all through the lens of the cross. Okay. Revelation. How do you um, how do you read Revelation? Do you read? Has, any, has anybody? Well, I don't want to raise your hands because. Um, <laughs> Have you read Revelation before? Is it scary as hell or what? Is it just... Uh, it is... I, I'm Really, there was a long time where I just was like, I was not even going near Revelation. I knew it was good. It's not Revelations. It's, it's the Revelation. It's John, it was a revelation to the Apostle John, who was the one, I believe, who was not... Uh, apostle was not martyred. Um, but he was he received it while he was in exile. Um, revelation is... is powerful, it's difficult, it's perplexing, it's colorful, it's dramatic, it's tragic, it's amazing. Um, somebody said it's like a raging river, a bloody battle, an enticing mystery, and a breathtaking wedding all rolled uh, into one. Um, it is sort of the final chapter uh, in uh, the story of salvation. Flip over in your Bibles to, to Revelation, the very first chapter in Revelation. Revelation 1. Revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. So this is sort of a preamble, sort of prologue. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest, uh, Priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, so what is Revelation? John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace and peace to you from him. It's a letter. It's a, I mean, Romans starts just like that. But it's hardly a letter. I mean, it's, it's, it's a crazy letter. You just think uh, Revelation is, is bizarre. So it's written, it is actually written to these seven churches. Um, seven churches uh, are, I done, I mean, you can read it and see where they are, Ephesus and Pergamum and Laodicea and Sardis. And, um, the apocalypse, is this, this is not the only, by any means, the only uh, apocalyptic writing from, from this time, time frame. Uh, there's some really ancient stuff. There's things in several different um, faith traditions. Apocalyptic writings generally foretell um, judgment and salvation, 
and they use sort of fantasy symbols in dreams. Um, often they are given great weight by being written pseudonymously. Is that the right? How do you say that? They're, rate, they're written in one of the names of the ancients. So like if it's written in, in the year, I don't know, if it's written today, we might say it's, you know, thus says, I don't know, Thomas Cramer or Winston Churchill or something like that. You know, I don't know. It's just it's somebody who is dead is written in their name. John, uh, John wrote Revelation. It was, it was it's not written in a name that was, you, know, you might say, well, how do we know it was, what, that wasn't the name they gave him? But it, it wasn't. It, from, from the very earliest church, they, it was given by John. John had a relationship with, he was actually the pastor of the church in Ephesus for a while. Um, it was it was John. This is John's revelation. Um, it's a call to prophecy, but it's written in the apocalyptic model. It's not it's not written like Ezekiel or Isaiah, um, but it, it it does foretell coming events from John's perspective. Um, but it's written in the Spirit as a word from the Lord Jesus, not from the Father, but from from the Lord Jesus. Um, and and the imagery in Revelation is very Old Testament. Um, and so if you don't know your Old Testament, then you have, you'll have a much harder time reading Revelation, which is actually a really good reason to say, well, read through the Bible, through a Bible reading plan. So once you get, you've read the whole thing, every time I read through the Old Testament and then end up in a reading plan in Revelation, I, I feel like I understand Revelation more. Not that I'm going to understand it all, but I understand it more because I think, oh, wait, I saw that in Ezekiel. I remember somewhere where I can go back and look at that. And sometimes, now I know Revelation well enough that I can, if I'm reading it in Isaiah or Daniel, then I can say, I can click over and I'll just make a note. So when I get to Revelation, I remember to go back and look at that spot in Daniel. So, um, so that's a, anyway, there's several, as you probably know, there's several schools of interpretation um, uh, about Revelation. And some people think, and I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna go through all of them. Um, some people think that it was written from the perspective of John, that it, and everything has already happened. Well, that's not really a viable option for us. That's called the the uh, preterist view. It's not a viable option because Christ hadn't returned yet, very clearly. And so, um, and so, so that's that's one option, but it's not, it's not a really a faith option. Um, there are uh, some who say that basically none of it has happened yet. Uh, that all of the book is related to future events immediately preceding the end of history. This is the Left Behind series. Uh, this is what really gets all the press. Um, and and it's um, it's you may have heard like people talk about premillennialism or postmillennialism or mid tribulation. All that's pretty much from the futurist mindset. Um, and it, it, it relates to the thousand-year reign of Christ, which is a small section in verse um, in chapter 20. And then the is the rapture going to happen before the tri- the thousand years, or after the thousand years, or or in the middle of it sometime? The trip or the or the tribulation is coming. Um, I, that's not my camp either. Um, the word rapture is is actually from a. A Latin word, and I think it's taken out of context a lot. And there's a whole lot of theology that hangs on on that interpretation. Um, and but granted, there are people smarter than me that have come up with that, and I have um, been trained in what is called amillennialism. 
and um, and this is sort of um, what might be called idealist, which is to say it's it's all true. It doesn't necessarily necessarily refer to a specific time, um, but it is there's this ongoing struggle between good and evil. Uh, there are Christ will come again. Satan has been defeated. Uh, we can see those things clearly. We're not going to catch all the symbols uh, in them. The Revelation contains metaphor. The thousand years is is uh, it's not literal. It's metaphor. Um, there is there is tribulation. There's always tribulation, and Christ is going to come again. There is going to be a new heaven and new earth. But I don't know when that's going to be. You know, it might be my lifetime. It probably is not going to be my lifetime. There have been a lot of people who thought it was going to be in their lifetime, and they're with Jesus now. Um, we don't know when it is, but we know God wins, and that's about all we know. So that's kind of that's kind of how I view it. Um, it's fascinating. It's a wonderful thing, uh, Revelation, and it, it represents the pattern of evil manifest manifest the pattern of evil manifestations and the victory of God over over evil. So, um, so that's kind of how I, I read it. If you are uh, if you're reading The Great Gatsby, or you're reading The Brothers Karamazov, or any of these great pieces of literature, they have symbols all through them. And if you're first time through, or maybe you're hundredth time through, you're not going to catch all the symbols. But they're important to the story. And the author knew what they knew what the symbols meant, and that's that's important too. Well, the, our author knew what was important. The author, John, even more so the author, the Holy Spirit, he knew uh, the meaning of the symbols that he gave. Um so the um, so Revelation itself, that's, that's sort of my uh, understanding of it and, and how I operate on it. Anybody want to push back on that or, or ask more questions about Revelation as a, and the rap? Maybe you thought we were, I, I was, um, I remember in seminary, my, one of my professors telling me about a, a friend of theirs who, who couldn't go to college because their parents hadn't saved any money because they were sure that the rapture was going to happen before. Um, I just thought it was the saddest thing I've ever heard. Um, yeah, well, kind of, yeah. I think they were, uh, they probably weren't doing a lot of drinking, but, um, uh, yeah. What would you say if someone asked, like, why would you want to study this instead of, I wouldn't. No, I. Why would you? I wouldn't study it first. I can tell you that I wouldn't. Get, that's not where I'd say. Oh, you just come to Christ. Well, look at Revelation. Um, <laughs> I, I. I would. I would say, and it, not to say that it. It's only for the mature. I mean, it's. Um, I, I would say study it because it's scripture. Study the Gospels, and when you're done, study Isaiah, and then. Take a few psalms and go to Revelation. I mean, like, I, it's just, it's scripture. And so it's really valuable. In fact, it's the only book that says you will get a blessing from reading it. It's the only book that does, says that. And you will. You will get a blessing. And you won't understand it. But um, but you will see that Christ wins. Yeah, Patrick. Well, I've been sitting and talk a long time. You know my background and my history. And, you know, a family that understands a lot more than I do. But the bottom line is what? said earlier, it's pretty profound. You can't read Revelation without understanding the rest of the Bible, mm-hmm. pretty much the Old Testament. First time I read it, I read it through all, twice, all mm-hmm. the way through. The first time it was like reading a, a book, you know, uh, reading Greek or something. Because mm-hmm. I, I didn't understand it. You know, but once you start 
understanding the rest of the Bible, you have mm-hmm. a better perspective. So if you, going back to your question, you know, you're really, you're not reading just Revelation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's actually a really good way to say it. It's it's sort of a it's sort of the epilogue to right. to all of Scripture, um, and and really it unfolds. There's there's John and then there's Jesus in chapter one. Then there's the seven churches in chapter three, and he kind of goes through each of those, and then there's these worshiping multi. You get into the vision and there's these worshiping multitudes, and and like. I mean, he's describing something with this completely unearthly, but he's describing it in earthly language. Um, and so it's, it, you know, it's probably not going to look like it when you get there. It's not going to look like it looks in your mind, but because all you've got is earthly, earthly images. But, um, and then there's these chapters six to eleven. The drama begins, and the seven seals are open, and the four horsemen come, and the white robe martyrs, and the hundred and forty-four thousand, all these different symbols. I mean, numbers are really, really important. Uh, and then there's chapter 12. And chapter 12 is the theological key to Revelation. So you can go home and make a little note. So when you get there next rally day, um, two rally days from now, because you're going to go through the Bible in a year. Um, and it, that, The plan actually ends on my 40th birthday. But anyway, um, you're going to get to chapter 12 somewhere around Labor Day, and you're going to think, have a note in your Bible. This is the theological key to the book. That's where we have two visions of Satan being defeated. Uh, he is the defeated foe. Uh, his time of banishment has not yet come. He is already defeated, but he has not yet been banished. And there is rejoicing in Christ's victory and yet weeping for present sorrows. And that's where we live. You know, We rejoice in Christ's victory. We have present sorrows. And then you see chapters 13 through 18, judgment and wrath. You see Babylon fall. And then you see the marriage supper of the Lamb. So you have all these symbols. Was, was Babylon Rome? Like, was that, I mean, I, yes and no. You know, I, I don't know. But, um, but it's, it, it is a remarkable, remarkable piece of literature and faith. And, um, and you will be blessed by reading it. But you will not understand it all. So, um, but read it and reread it. But but read the other rest of the Bible too. So. Cool thing. Yeah. I heard this other day. Jesus wins in the end. That's, That's it. Understanding yeah. <laughs> what the, That's what the it. final verdict is pretty cool. Huh? All right. All right. Well, more to come next week. Uh, next two weeks will be on Old Testament. I hope you'll join us for that. Thanks. Thank you.